4: Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club.
1: And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel
5: Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks, presented by New Era DJ Bucky, back here on the MTS Position Prototype Series finale episode today, Buck.
6: Yeah, man, it's been a fantastic uh, series. I've said it many times. I feel like this has really enhanced and elevated my knowledge base on all these positions, being able to talk to not only great players at the position, but guys who have coached the position or guys who have evaluated the position from a high level. Um, It has really allowed me to rethink how we evaluate it. So I'm excited to talk about these cornerbacks today.
0: Yeah, again, you did a nice job of explaining it there, Buck. But uh, this has been a, a series where we've been able to go position by position and talk to all those folks you just mentioned and not only, you know, what should we be looking for in the position right now? What matters? But also, I've enjoyed the aspect of it of what's to come? What's the future of this position? Because this is a game that continues to change and evolve.
1: Now, Goff with three to the left takes the snap. Harmon on a blitz. Goff throws it to the right. Gilmore's there. Intercepted at the
6: four. Fires to the middle of the field. That ball is picked off
1: by Jalen Ramsey in the end zone. What a play by Jalen. He made up ground, and he picked it off in the middle of the end zone. It is Rosen. Here's a blitz by Sherman coming off the corner. And it's Richard Sherman who gets a sack.
0: Roethlisberger standing in the pocket, throws across the route, and it'll be intercepted. Chris Harris Jr., second straight week with a big interception.
6: We have a couple of good people to come on. We got a number three overall pick, Sean Spring, someone who was with the Seattle Seahawks when I was there working. Longtime defensive back coach, Dennis Thurman, uh, DB coach and defensive coordinator. He has been in the league, was a great player also with the Dallas Cowboys. And then we also have former Patriots and Seahawks scout and current executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, Jim Nagy, to discuss the position. So a lot of conversation, a lot of insight. Can't wait to kind of tackle the, tu- the subject with these guys.
0: Yeah, I'm almost kind of a sad day going here for the, uh, the last episode. In the series, but if you've missed any of them, NFL.com slash MTS prototype. So that's NFL.com slash MTS prototype. You can find the entire series where you've gone quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, offensive line, uh, and edge rushers. Those episodes are all there for you to check out. So before we get to these interviews, I thought we'd kind of kick around our ideas of what we feel is important when we're evaluating this position. Go ahead, Buck.
6: So the first thing that I look for at the position um, is crazy because it's really not anything physical. It's really all mental. I'm looking for a high IQ football player, Mm -hmm. a guy who is – understands the position and plays the game what I call the right way. He understands down and distance. He understands where he's supposed to fit. He understands how to play with leverage. When you watch the tape, you can tell that he understands hash split rule, meaning he knows where the receiver is about to run based on where the ball is near the hash all of those things. So, I want a high IQ player. I want someone who is also, doesn't have to be the greatest athlete, but he has to have good movement skills. He has to be fluid, able to redirect, able to kind of stay with some of those special athletes that are on the edge. And finally, in my estimation, he has to have eight outstanding ball skills. Mm-hmm. This is a league that is built on turnovers. The guys who win the turnover margin simply consistently win games. So I want someone on the perimeter that is able to generate takeaways. So when the ball is errant, it's a tip, it's an overthrow, or they make a play, they come down with it. There's a huge difference in this league in guys that get interceptions and guys that just register breakups. I want the guys that are the ball hawks.
0: So we've done this, and that's great. I, I We've done this trying to come up with two or three attributes that we really, really try and focus in. This position, I've, I've thought about this and how to, you know, how do you say which three? This is what I've come up with, Buck. There's like a gateway, right? To get into the, to get into the door uh, in the evaluation process, we talked about in quarterbacks, right? Did enough arm strength, enough mm-hmm. athletic ability. So for me, you know, the, the, the quickness, the speed, the fluidity, like just be at an acceptable range for those, mm-hmm. okay? That's, that's to get into the evaluation process. If you don't have those, we can't really evaluate you. But then to me, this is there's a lot of people that fit that criteria. They've yes. got enough speed. they got enough quickness. they got enough fluidity. To me, these are the two things that when I look back at guys I've missed on and trying to learn and grow, the two things now that I'm more passionate about than I've ever been at this position uh, to me is ball skills, which you mentioned, can you play the ball? If you find a, if a player cannot find the ball in college, trust me, he is not going to find it magically when he gets to the NFL. So ball skills is w- number one. And number two is competitiveness. Mm-hmm. And competitiveness shows up in a variety of ways. It shows up on those 50-50 balls. It shows up when you're beat, can you recover? It shows up when you got to get off a block and make a play with all the bubble screens and fly sweeps that we're seeing now. I, I think it used to be kind of funny. We used to joke about it. Hey, we pay him to cover. Those days are over, man. With the way the the quick passing game is now and the way the ball's getting the perimeter, you can't tackle. It's tough to play in this league right now.
6: You have to be able to tackle. It's one of those things when we talk about three attributes, you don't do that. But I think your overall toughness kind of embodies all of that. Like you have to be tough and competitive. And if you're a competitive guy, you're not going to let people run around and dance on the perimeter without hitting them and getting them to the ground. Uh, The ball skills, I mean, it goes without mentioning that you have to be able to turn the ball over. Guys who are able to really rack up big turnover numbers, they're difference makers, they're game changers. And so um, I I ultimately want to look for what I call a decathlete. A guy who has size, speed, athleticism, explosiveness. Who's a technician. Who has a high IQ. Who also has those other traits when it comes to being a ball hawk. Well,
0: I'm with you 100. All right, we've, let's get to these conversations. We've got some good ones coming up here. Uh, Dennis Thurman, who I had a chance to work with in Baltimore. You've known DT
6: forever for a long time. Played against him, and played against his team at SC and college, um, and then he's become one of my dearest friends. He is an outstanding uh, coach. Does a great job of really talking about this defensive back position. Yeah,
0: we're going to get to him in a minute. We're also going to get to Jim Nagy, who you mentioned, who's been around some great DBs. Uh, one of the DBs uh, that we're going to talk to first, though, Jim Nagy spent some time working with the New England Patriots, a guy who found some time with the New England Patriots, as well as a team uh, that you were with, with the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, top 10 pick and an outstanding pro, uh, Sean Springs, coming out of Ohio State. Big reputation, lived up to it in the league. Here's our conversation. Uh, had a chance to visit with Sean Springs.
2: <laughs> Blitz coming. Plummer,
0: return cuts back and he's gone Sean Springs his second touchdown return of an interception in as many weeks and the Seahawks appear to have this one in hand I couldn't be more excited uh, than to talk to my next guest here and Sean Springs and you're talking about the corner position what a person to talk to, a man who spent 13 years uh, getting it done in National Football League. And, Sean, my first question, uh, I want to go back to the beginning. When did you first line up on the defensive side of the ball? I got to imagine uh, you were playing a little bit of offense when you were a youngster.
5: Yeah, in high school, I, I played both ways. So I was a uh, running back and receiver in high school, and then I played defensive back, uh, obviously, when I got to Ohio State. So that's when I became a full-time defensive player. For those that don't know, uh, share with
0: us a little bit of the family background there, because uh, you ended up on the other side of the ball than your, than your father.
5: <laughs> yeah, my dad, Ron, played for nine years in the NFL, and he was a running back. And uh, he was probably the first one to tell me, like, running backs are a down a dozen. Like, <laughs> And he was like, you need to play defensive back. Maybe you can re- return kicks and punts in college, but for the most part, play defensive back.
0: I love it. Uh, talk, talk us through your arrival there mm-hmm. at Ohio State in college and the biggest adjustment from high school to college at the corner position. And, and what are oh. some of the things you felt you really needed to learn uh, to be able to get to, get out there and excel as you did?
5: The first day I showed up to the Ohio State, I quit, man. <laughs> I call I called home and I told my dad, I can't cover these receivers, man. They got walk-ons who are running past me. That <laughs> one walk-on, his name was Terry Glenn, and then I went up against the starter. His name was Joey Galloway. I was Ooh. like, I can't keep up with these guys. And, you know, it was the the adjustment was just, you know, when you go to a program like Ohio State, you have to learn how to compete every day against guys, guys. Um, who obviously had long careers in the NFL at the receiver position. And then, you know, I had some great corners that I, I had in, in my room as well with Antoine Winfield being one and a man plumber and Nate Clemens, those guys who came to Ohio State. So um, the biggest thing for when you go to a program like that is, you know, you got to be able to compete to get on the field. But when you, gotta, when you get on the field, you have to be able to line up every day and, and, and be able to play the technique and go against the best receivers in the country. All right, Sean, when we look at the corner
0: position, when we're evaluating the corner mm-hmm. position, you just mentioned some of the, the great players you played with being a great player yourself, but different body types, you know, you and Antoine Winfield yeah. specifically couldn't be any more <laughs> opposite in terms of what the body type is. So if we're going to find what do great corners have in common, regardless of size, what is it?
5: I, I think the one thing all great corners have is that confidence, the ability to have that self-talk and, uh, talk down doubt you know as a cornerback you know all the receivers they 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 want to score and they want to take you up top and you know you can have 58 plays that you play in the game that are great and two plays you get beat on and everyone says that you had a bad game so I think yeah as a corner you got to be able to let things go and be able to uh, respond and come back to next play
0: when we're doing the evaluation, a lot of times we want to see guys, what they do, what they how they function up in press. They're also going to be taking your notes when we get them in off coverage. Uh, teaching points are what you should be looking for when we're evaluating. When uh, we're watching a guy in press, what are some focus points? And we're watching a guy from off coverage, what are some good focus points?
5: When I'm, when I'm watching a guy in press, you know, I like to see how he uses hands. You know, a lot of times guys they'll be in press coverage but they're they soft technique and it's time for soft technique but they won't get the hands on on the receiver and i'm i'm of the school of belief if the receiver is lined up a foot away from you at least you try to jam them in and reroute them and get them into their route as quick as possible um and guys and you know one thing about um playing press coverage is not just to stop the receivers it's also to get defensive back in position so the guys who, yeah, you might get your hands on a guy, but what happens if he, he knocks your hands down? And Can you catch up and can you, can you keep yourself in position? When you talk about off coverage, I like to see guys who, who are patient, who can stay square, who can uh, take their re-steps, who can uh, recognize patterns and be able to make adjustments uh, and keep their leverage. If you're inside leverage and you're off technique, stay inside. Um, so there's all those type of things that you you watch as a, a, a player, like am I in the right position all the time? Because off coverage gives a receiver a lot of opportunity to run in free space. Uh, challenge for, for me over the last few years,
0: it seems like you watch a lot of the college game. You're going to see a mm-hmm. lot of cover four. We see a lot of these outside corners with their butt to mm-hmm. the sideline, simply just <laughs> shuffling and re- reading through the wide receiver back to the quarterback. And it is a major transition from that style of play versus what they're going to be asked to do at the NFL Mm -hmm. level. Um, When you watch the game, when you're watching on Saturdays, have you noticed how that's changed? And how how more difficult is that transition now with the way the game's played in college?
5: Yeah, well, I think one thing, you know, if you look at the defensive backs in college, most of those guys, you know, um, they, they play... Uh, uh, in a scheme that obviously they're going against the offenses that you see in the Big Twelve and Pac mm-hmm. twelve, and, and <laughs> so the game has changed because the way these quarterbacks are coming to the, coming into the in college, you know, these guys are throwing seven on seven, and the quarterbacks are advanced coming into college and also into the NFL. So you, you have to be able to play technique, and it seems to me, from what I've seen, there's a very few corners who who are able to. uh, uh, just get after somebody and, and, and play good technique on a consistent basis. They all seem like they want to make plays and just play within the scheme a little bit. You know, we use words a lot of
0: times you guys use it as players, coaches use it. We talk yeah. about it in scouting. Um, the word transition, if maybe someone's yeah. listening to this or watching this and they don't, they hear that word, they don't know what it means. Can you, can you explain that to them?
5: A transition is the ability to be able to uh, close that gap and change directions. I, I think, you know, a lot of times, you, you know, you see corners who can... Uh who the, the great ones can accelerate once they plant and drive that foot they can accelerate and close the distance between them themselves and the receiver. Uh, they can get spun around and they can and they can get right back on the hip of the receiver. So uh, or or guys who are just smoothing and pedaling and just everything looks fluid and it's not herky jerky and uh, all over the place. So that's what I think about when I think about transition.
0: No, that's beautiful. I want to go back to your era when you played. You mentioned some of those corners you played with at Ohio State. Some great yeah. corners in the NFL yeah. uh, during your time uh, that joined you. By- I want to talk about wide receivers that you're going up against yeah. and what, who gave you some trouble? Who are some of the great <laughs> wide receivers and why, why was it a challenge uh, versus those guys?
5: Yeah. Uh, you know, there was a lot of, uh, uh, there was some great receivers in the era I played in, uh, you know, the, the one guy or the system that I hated to go against was, it was Torrey Holt and those guys are the greatest, <laughs> <laughs> which is in modern day football today, yeah, yeah. the greatest show on turf. But you talk about Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt and Kurt Warner, what those guys were doing, they were dangerous for the guy. You know, once you were in man coverage, you had Marshall out of the back backfield. So that offense and just they could make adjustments on the fly and they were explosive. Uh, Randy. Randy and T.O. were the bigger receivers that I love competing against, but they both had their challenges where, you know, if Randy was getting even with you, he was leaving. And, 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 and Terrell, you know, um, you know, Julio Jones is a Martin day um, uh, version of Terrell Owens. But, you know, if you let T.O. Uh, get going and catch the ball and you had to want to tackle him. So um, those are some of the, the tougher receivers that I faced. Um. Uh, The ones that gave me trouble always seemed to be the smaller guys, the West Walkers of the world, chasing those guys around. Santana Moss, who was my teammate in Washington, I just hated chasing those little guys around because they moved all over the place.
0: I want to ask you specifically about uh, Winfield. You've been around one of the the best uh, inside corners that we've seen in the NFL in the last 20, 30 years. Um, what is it about that? Because when we're evaluating, we have guys on the draft board now, there's two different columns for outside guys and inside guys. Uh, What made him so special as somebody that could play
5: inside? Well, you know, you're right. The the nickel position has evolved in the last uh, probably five years for sure i can think of it now it's a nickel spot but antoine you you know what was so unique about antoine is that he was like a linebacker playing <laughs> playing in, in, in a nickel you could actually take an outside linebacker and put him in there and he could fill in the gap he could fill the b gap he could take on a run as well as cover uh he, he had the quickness to be able to stay with some of the smaller slot receivers but he also had the physical toughness to be able to take on a run in a run game
0: Hey, no doubt, and and when we look at the game the way it's played right now, one of the themes we've kind of had um, in this discussion talking about DBs is uh, the tackling has become more important now maybe than it ever has before. Yeah. And when you're when you're watching a corner and you're seeing a young corner, there's some people that say if he doesn't bite as a puppy, he's not going to bite uh, when he's a big dog. <laughs> uh, when you're watching, have you seen guys? Can do you? Either, are you born with that mentality to want to be able to get involved in the run game, or is that something to be taught? <laughs>
5: Well, I think you can be taught to tackle, uh, you know, there's a, there's a certain physical toughness, you know, that comes along with playing corner. You know, most people think your job is to chase the receivers around and get the ball, which is 70% of your job. But you also have to be able to bring down the tough running backs. You're going to have to be able to come up and, and uh, uh, fill the lane on a guy like Ezekiel Elliott. And you have to be able to do it on a consistent basis because now you got these home run hitters, these guys can take it the distance. Um, so, you know, I know I had a great career coach in Washington, Greg Williams, who, who just taught physical toughness. And he would tell you to go up there and give, and he expected the corners to make plays. So uh, I think it can be taught if if you didn't, then you would be on the sideline with him. I want you to see if you can give
0: me a definition here because you talk to yeah. DB coaches around the league and they all have a different way of describing it, but some will say an edge, uh, some will say a swagger, but there is a certain mentality. You hinted at it earlier. There's a certain mentality <laughs> yeah. at the corner position. What What is that? What is that psyche like for great corners like yourself? Because it seems like you all have it.
5: Um, I, I think the, the trick is the corners who don't have fear. You know, And I'm talking about... W- w- fear from a sense of you know that you're going up against the best, and you gotta you gotta welcome that challenge, and so you gotta love that challenge. But the guys who are afraid to get beat. Won't make any plays. So you got to have the confidence when you go out there. It's like, man, I'm going to get after this dude. I'm going to make plays. And uh, I'm, I'm just going to be able to line up and have that confidence that you prepared and you, your technique is there where you can cover anybody. That swagger, confidence, the ability, the, the self-talking and talk yourself up. You got to have it.
0: Well, last thing, and then I'm going to let you go. I'm just going to give you an opportunity in this form right now. If you'd like to, you can thank your father for guiding you away from the running back position and to the defensive backfield because I think he bought you some extra
5: years there. Oh, yeah, he probably bought me like eight more extra years. You know, my dad was the one who said, man, running back to a dying position, you need to play corner and play a long time. And uh, and the way these guys practice now, the way you know, the game is fun and is exciting. I know a lot of people talk about uh, this new era of football when you see Kansas City and the, and the Rams go at it or the Saints and, and, you know, what you see Thomas been doing for the last probably 15 years, man. I would have loved to play in this era of uh, football, man. They're throwing the ball around, man. They're throwing <laughs> the ball around. I love it. You got, you got, to go out there and get it.
0: Oh, hey, Sean, man, thank you so much for your time today. And from your yeah. lips to every parent's ears, if your kid's an <laughs> athlete, put, put them on the defensive side of the ball. I love
5: yeah, it. Make them, the, make them the next Jalen Ramsey, man. Send them out there, <laughs> Jalen Ramsey, Dan, Danzel Ward, or somebody like that, man. Uh, Save their bodies.
0: I love it, man. Hey, thank you so much for your time. That was awesome, Sean. I appreciate it. All right. Buck, it it was interesting to me hearing him, uh, you know, kind of comparing a guy like Julio Jones being a modern-day Terrell Owens. Um, You can go back and and listen to him talk about the challenge he had at Ohio State going up against some of those wide receivers he had to see in practice. Uh, Man, how about that? When you get Joey Galloway and Terry Glenn, uh, that's a good way to welcome you
6: to college. Well, that's a good way, and that's why he was really, really prepared to, to succeed and thrive at the next level. I will say my story about Sean Springs going up to Seattle, and watching him, You see him come out of the locker room, body beautiful. Oh, yeah. I mean, chisel, cut, long arms. Um, a guy who is really a thoroughbred on the hoof. He can run. He can challenge you at the line of scrimmage. He had ball skills. He is really, really intelligent and kind of knew his role. The big thing for Sean is he was so talented that you're trying to figure out what is the best way to maximize his talent. Should we let him travel? Should we keep him on one side, put him at left corner, and let him be the dominant player? He is everything that you were looking for at the position, which is why he speaks so well to it.
0: And I thought it was fascinating that his dad, Ron Springs, had great career as a running back in the National Football League. He admitted he bought him a couple extra years by getting him out of oh, that running sure. back position, getting him to go into the DB room and uh, made him a little extra cash in the process there, Absolutely, So hats off to, to Pops. All right, we've got, uh, we've got Jim Nagy coming up here in just a little bit, uh, but let's get to our next interview with Dennis Thurman. Great player in the NFL, also a uh, tremendous track record as a defensive coordinator as well as a DB coach in the NFL. And you had a chance to catch up with him.
6: You can't talk about defensive football without bringing in one of the Best players, one of the best coaches, one of the guys who has been mentored by some greats at the position. Dennis Thurman, former defensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, also the New York Jets. Anywhere else? I'm, anybody else I'm missing? Nope. Any other teams. All the accolades. Nope. Nope. All right, so I fluffed you up pretty good. <laughs> I got you pumped up. But look, Dennis, we want to talk about the cornerback position and what separates the good from the great. So when you think about DBs, what are the essential traits that the great ones have?
2: The great ones always have, well, first thing they have is great vision. You have to have tremendous vision, okay? Then you have to have great feet, great hands. When I say hands, it's the ability to get your hands on someone, but also catch the football, the ability to redirect people, understand how to strip people. The ball has to end up on the ground. If a receiver doesn't catch it, you've done your job. But a lot of guys think, hey, I got to hit the ball. You don't always have to hit the ball as a corner. Just make sure the receiver doesn't catch it. So teaching them how to strip a receiver by getting hands back up under armpits, separating the hands. It's just a lot of different things, but the eyes are first. Cause if you can't see them, if you can't see them, you're not going to go. You you can't go with them. So you have to be able to, to track them. So you have to have great vision. Your feet have to get you there. Okay. And it really, when you're talking about one-on-one pass defense, you play tag, right? Yep. It's, the greatest tag game in the history of tag, <laughs> because if, wherever he's running, where do you have to go? Get him off. Can't gotta go to the spot. Yeah, you gotta get, get get where he's going. Right? Okay. Well. It's the greatest form of tag there is. All we're doing is playing tag. That's so we're all playing, We're, doing. A, we're playing, a, playing a game of one-hand tag. Now, it's a kid's game. It is a kid's game. So
6: I've always been taught, and I've always viewed the cornerback position as one where the guy on the perimeter is a decathlete. Right. Because it's the only position where you start going backwards before you go forward. Right. Physically, when you're evaluating position, what are you looking for? If, if we, could,
2: we could draw it up, what are you looking for? Quick feet, balance, his ability to mirror someone as quickly as the guy is moving forward, you have to be able to mirror him going backwards just as, uh, just as well. And if a guy can't do that, he's not going to have a chance to play DB. Okay. You can, you can teach him different techniques. You can teach him how to get up there and press bail. You can teach him uh, to get up there and just press all day. But there's times where you have to be able to play off and mirror a receiver running backwards as fast as he is running forward. And if you can't do that, you're going to struggle to play DB over a long period of time.
6: So for, for, for so long in recent years, we we've seen this trend where people go from smaller corners to now want a bigger corner. Um, having been a guy that has
2: coached both, what are the differences with a big corner and those small nickel-type corners? Well, the the bigger corner is going to give you an opportunity. Well, the, one of the biggest corners, he's a Hall of Famer that i ever seen, was Mel Blunt. Mel Blunt was like 6'4", 205 pounds, 210 pounds before it was even popular. Guys that size used to play outside linebacker, and all he did was grab guys and throw them in the Gatorade, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and, and had a tremendous amount of success. And so, in the big corner back then, it was about the physicality. Now, it's the longer angular corner that you're looking at from Mike Haynes to Antonio Cromartis, the uh, Richard Shermans, even even Josh Norman at at Washington, those guys have length, okay? You don't necessarily have to be the fastest when you're long because you're – Your length helps you in terms of can you get the ball over me? Can you get the ball by me? Because I now can reach and stretch as opposed to a a shorter corner who does not have that, who needs to have tremendous speed, a la Daryl Green. Okay, Daryl Green came in with world-class speed, and he was able to just run with any and everybody. But at one point, he had to learn how to use his speed because when he was younger, he just ran fast all the time. Once he learned how to use his speed, that's when he became the Hall of Famer that he became.
6: So those smaller corners, because you talked about the big corners and how they have to play. When you have a small corner and you're having to put him in and maybe he has to play inside at nickel or at the slot,
2: what does he have to have if he's an undersized player to be able to succeed? Tremendous, tremendous quickness. Because when you're in that slot, you're now dealing with someone who has a three-way go on you. And when I say that, the outside corner always, most of the time he thinks, well, depending on his split, he's either going to go inside or outside or deep. When I'm dealing with that slot receiver, he can go inside, outside or deep on me anytime he wants to because he has more space to work with. So if he doesn't have tremendous short area quickness and underneath quickness, he will struggle on that slot.
6: Okay, so we've had this conversation privately, but I want to kind of bring it to air. Your nickel corner, your slot corner. Are you in the camp that that need, guy needs to be your best corner, or are you just
2: saying that's where we put the small guy? No, he, it, can, it can be. We, we wrestled in New York early with putting Darrell at that position. Darrell Revis. Yes, but he was so good outside that we didn't want to mess with Darrell. And then when we got Crow Marty, that was one of the reasons why we drafted Kyle Wilson because Kyle had the short area quickness and speed underneath that we were looking for, and we didn't have to mess with our two premier corners that we had outside and by drafting Kyle we were saying we had what we needed outside let's find that guy inside if we move Darrell now Darrell is doing what we're asking him to do because there's no doubt we feel like he could have played on the slot but now that outside, we felt like we would have weakened ourselves and we didn't want to do that. It's always easier to help a slot corner than it is helping an outside corner when you're playing against 11 personnel.
6: So now you brought up Darrell Rivas' name. And in 2009, some would say he might have had the best corner, best season ever for a cornerback. They were talking about he may be the shutdown corner. It's only been a couple of those guys right. and Deion Sanders and Darrell Rivas. What made Darrell Rivas the prototype at his position during his prime? Well,
2: he, he – his balance, When the first thing I noticed about him was his balance. He didn't get, he was never off balance. There was not one time in that 2009 season where I felt like he was out of position or he, he wasn't in a position to make a play. Tremendous feet, tremendous patience. He could get his hands on any receiver. But it wasn't just one hand. He could get both of his hands on a receiver. He rerouted guys and made them go where he wanted them to go, not where they wanted to go. And then people thought it was just a mirage. Okay, we just go, oh, you know what? He had a good game last week. So we're going to, no, he had a good game that, no. He just kept having, putting back, back to back, back to back, back to back, great games. He was the reason why. We went to the championship game in 2009 and 2010. Without him, we don't go. We were able to put, to put him on whoever we wanted to, and then we we took the other 10 guys, and we we did what we had to do to stop the other team's offense. But he gave us that type of flexibility to do that, and it was It was truly one of the greatest – or two of the greatest seasons we, we, we've seen in a long time.
6: Well, now, I know you're still close to the game. You still watch the game. So if you had to pick – a young guy, a guy that is currently playing right now. That's kind of like the new prototype. Who would be a young guy? Jalen you Ramsey. Sometime? Ooh, what about Jalen Ramsey? Makes him the prototype.
2: Well, he because he's physical, he's long, he's angular, he's fast. He can he can change direction. He has excellent ball ball skills. Just stop talking. Work. Ooh. He doesn't need to talk. Let your play do your talking. Okay. Last the year before, he had a phenomenal year. OK, where did where did Jacksonville go? Oh, yeah. They went forward. They went to championship. When game. you have a truly great corner, he can he can lead your defense. OK, he needs to just play. Last year, he started doing what? Talking. Yeah. Quarterbacks can't do this. Quarterbacks do. Just play. You're, you're a tremendous football player. Yeah. Go play the game. Lead your defense because he has that type of ability. Stefan Gilmore's had two great years in, in New England. Ooh, Stefan
6: Gilmore, Jalen Ramsey. Okay, so I'm trying to figure out – I I can't let you go because there's a guy who was at one point the prototype that I don't think a lot of people really recognized or gave him enough credit. Chris McAllister, you coached him in Baltimore. People aren't familiar with Chris McAllister. Just talk about Chris McAllister and what Chris McAllister did to kind of put his impact on the league as a shutdown corner.
2: Because – when Chris came out of the out of University of Arizona, Chris was a top 10 pick. I believe he was the 10th player picked in the first round the Ravens picked him. Chris was big, fast, physical. I mean, just when you look at him, you say, man, how, you're not playing corner. You're playing safety. You're playing outside linebacker. But his ability to change direction for a guy his size was uncanny to me. I just I sat there and I said, uh-uh. You're not supposed to do this. But what Chris began to do and all I whispered to Chris was, low man wins. And he said, man, why you keep telling me that? I said, you're playing too high. And he looked at me, he said, all right, man, I'm getting ready to do what you said. <laughs> and he started doing it, and he started having success. And he was like, man, this stuff works. Chris, you can change direction, but you're uh, you're playing too high. Get down lower. And it was harder for him because 6'1", six, one, six, one 210 pounds. When Chris... I believe when Chris retired, Chris was about 218 pounds as a corner, but he could still play the position, but he was playing it too high. He began to have success when he sank his body and allowed his natural gifts to take over. Chris began to go to the Pro Bowl. He was shutting that guys down. They were getting one, two, three catches a game. People weren't recognizing him for it because Dion was still playing. Okay, so he kind of got pushed to the back. And we had Ray Lewis, and we had Ed Reed, and we had Terrell Suggs, and we had tremendous names on our defense, but Chris allowed us to do some of the things that Darrell allowed us to do. Okay. When we went, uh, when we were in Baltimore and then we just took it the same. And when we got to New York, we let Darrell do those things.
6: All right. I said one more, but now I I do have a final one because this, you, you, you never really talk about your playing career. I've never seen you on TV talk about it. I've never heard you on radio talk about it. So I kind of want to talk about it because you had an opportunity to play in Dallas and that secondary with you, Everson walls, uh, some record with number of interceptions or whatever. 150 what? 150. How many, how many years? Between 1981 and 85. 150 interceptions. We averaged 30 a year. That's unbelievable. So what I want to talk about, because Everson Walls um, is still up consideration for the Hall of Fame. Everson Walls wasn't a, fast, wasn't a
2: fast guy. How can you be a successful corner in this league when you're not fast? Tremendous eyes. He had tremendous eyes. And that's why I keep going with eyes are first. He could read routes. He didn't he didn't have to play press. If you don't play press, you have to have what? great vision. He had tremendous vision. He could read routes. He understood route patterns. He understood body language. I mean, he taught me about watching receivers, how they break the huddle, okay? They're pulling on their gloves. You know, are they, you know, do they look down? Are they looking up? Because a lot of times receivers will tip off when they might be getting the ball or when it's a pass. So there were things that we had trade-offs, okay, because I helped him with learning the overall defense. But Everson had tremendous ball skills, but more importantly, he had tremendous eyes, and that—that that was his strength. He always played to that. You uh, go watch tape; you'll never see him in press. He I don't think he ever got impressed unless we were playing two man, <laughs> okay? Because he had a—he had a great ability to read the quarterback and understand route patterns and combinations. He took one interception from me on a slant. I—I <laughs> I, I, I swear to God, I. Hey, Guys running a slant And he broke on the ball Before I did And he just t- and My hands are here And I'm Somebody's hands I, They were his I said man what happened He said man I just saw it What can you say What can you say
6: Oh, oh man You have said enough Thanks for joining The Moody Six Podcast Giving us an education On the prototypes At the cornerback position
0: well, Buck, it was neat listening to that conversation. You can definitely tell um, as somebody who I've known DT a little bit, but you can definitely tell you guys have a nice rep, a nice relationship there. You guys have known each other for a long
6: time. I learned so much about football from him. In fact, I mean, just we, we have these weekly conversations where he just kind of continues to enlighten me on the game. And I think the big thing with Dennis is how he talks about, like, everyone can't handle it on the perimeter. And the fact that he was able to coach Darrell Revis and the things that separated Revis from some of the other guys, uh, not only the physical skills skills uh, that he displayed, but the toughness and the willingness to really uh, buy into practice and doing all those other things. I think Darrell Reeves, his ability to be a lockdown corner, to me, he is the prototype because we haven't seen many that have been really able to shut down one half of the field without assistance from a safety.
0: Yeah, my notebook, I'm running out of room to write after uh, that conversation with DT, a lot of knowledge. He was dropping on us right there. All right, next interview, uh, Jim Nagy, and we talked about it at the top, Buck, one of the more respected evaluators who decided to uh, leave the uh, the NFL game after being a very successful executive on the scouting side of things to go take over the Reese's Senior Bowl, but still constantly watching tape and up on the latest trends at the position. Uh, here's my conversation with Jim Nagy. All right, Jim. Let's talk about some uh, some cornerbacks now. Looking at the the cornerback position and and maybe how that's evolved, just from when you began scouting to where we are now. What has changed? What's more important now, the way the game is played uh, versus when you started?
1: I think length, like any position. I think when I was getting into scouting, we, DJ, you and I were about the same time. Yeah. There, just you hear length, length, length a lot more than you when you ever did when we were breaking in. You know, in the early two thousands. Um, I think that the success that they had in Seattle with, with Richard Sherman and Browner and some of these longer corners, I think that's, uh, you know, that's been huge at the position. I just go back to this year's senior bowl game, um, you know, contacting teams and reaching out and trying to get feedback about our rosters with, with the NFL teams. It was like bigger guys, the better, you know, bring as many long corners as you can. Um, but again, to, you know you also have to be mindful of the teams that play a lot of off man coverage because those longer guys are going to struggle in that, so there are teams like the patriots and and Houston teams that uh you know coming from that New England model where they play a lot of off man where you need transition skills you need to you need to have that transition quickness and reactionary athleticism at the top of a route to mirror so again it's kind of like two different packages, but I do think that height and length is at a premium
0: when you look at that and some teams obviously employ their corners differently. Uh, we talked about the wide receiver position, and, and Coach Billick used to always mention it and mentioned on our wide receiver episode about building a basketball team, having guys that can do different things, uh, smaller guys, a power forward, a point guard. When you look at the secondary now, with so many teams using motions and shifts and getting freeing up these wide receivers where some of these bigger, longer corners can't get on them, um, what about building a basketball team in the secondary where you have some of those big guys that can match up, but also you're going to have weeks where you see an Antonio Brown uh, and maybe having somebody where the change of direction or the fluidity might be a little more important?
1: Yeah, I think that, again, I'm drawn on my own experience, but you go back to the Seahawks over the last couple of years. At one point, we had all our corners were six foot over guys with, you know, 32 and a half inch arms. And you get in the Super Bowl against the Patriots and, you know, you got Edelman, you know, turning guys inside out. You know, we we had to play with Therald Simon in the slot, a little bit longer guy. really wasn't fair. You know, I mean, it's, He's a Big, longer guy. You can't match up and change direction with a guy like Wes Welker. So now you've seen the last couple of years that played with Justin Coleman inside, who's a, who's a smaller corner, just signed a big deal with the Lions this offseason. And Justin played great in there, you know. But then we always had Cam Chancellor for the tight end. Um, kind of feel like, you know, we were, we were big across the board. And I think even the Seahawks, as grounded Pete, as Coach Carroll is in, in playing with a bigger defense, he made that adjustment to go to a guy like Justin Coleman.
0: Did you guys do anything on your board for any of the teams? I know everybody you know, has a nickel slot or star slot, whatever you want to call it, and then they have outside guys. Is there been more specialization just in talking to people around the league or in your experience of saying, hey, these are kind of our press corners, these are some of the off corners, a way to, to, to designate them on the board when you're trying to set up and get ready for the draft?
1: Yeah, we actually created a nickel column, which we never had before, um, for those guys, for those smaller undersized guys that we knew if they had to play outside, they might struggle in our scheme. Um, but for what we would be asking them to do in the slot, they were perfect. And again, not not a total scheme fit, every down scheme fit, but as much sub downs as, as teams are in now. Um, that guy's going to be on the field 60%, 70% of the time. So we, we had to account for that. So it kind of created a nickel position. And then I think what you're also seeing is a lot of teams trying to u- use safeties as in the nickel spot. So just in lat- this past year's draft, Nasir Adderley from Delaware, um, you know, who went to the Chargers. I think he was a perfect example. Jaquan Johnson from Miami. I mean, there was, there was a bunch of, the, yeah. bunch of guys in that Vane Darnell Savage to the Packers in the first round. Um, just guys, you can mix and match in the secondary. So you're seeing a lot more, seeing a lot more safety nickel versatility than you ever saw, you know, 10, 15 years ago.
0: All right. I want to place you in the draft room. Cause I'm curious to see how you handle this one. You, you go out, you find a player, you love his personality. You love his temperament. Uh, the character checks out. It's great. Uh, he's explosive. Um, he's fluid, but he can't find the football. Do you lobby for that player or are you a buyer beware on that player?
1: Well I think that depends on on who you're who you're scouting for and you got to know your your head coach and Pete Carroll um, it's all about the ball in Seattle so that would have that would have been a tough sell with uh, coach Carroll a guy that couldn't find and play the ball because again I think it goes back to uh that that's almost an inherent trait well at mm-hmm. least at least the you know places I've been that that's something that's really hard to coach being able to get your head around find the football that's why going back and finding guys with a baseball background that maybe played some outfield, played some center field, used to track in a football. Um, you know, there, There's a lot of things that can be developed. We've just found over time that's, that's a difficult thing to, to develop. It's one thing when they're sitting in front and they can jump routes and break on the ball and make plays in front, but it's those plays down the field, the plays that count, those explosive plays. If they can't make that play down the field, um, at some point or another, that's going to really cost your football team. All
0: right, last one, then we'll let you run here. Just the importance of tackling at the position uh, with, with the way the game is played now versus maybe 10, 15 years ago.
1: Yeah, I, I think that uh, I think the cliche is that you pay corners to cover, um, but at some point they're going to have to tackle too. I mean, I know you've worked for teams where you, you might be in a situation where your corners have to come up and make that tackle in a big game and they don't get the guy on the ground. Again, you don't you don't need to be the most physical guy, but you have to be willing, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard to it's hard to sell a DB in a draft room for a guy that, that lacks toughness, you know. And again, not to you know, won't call out any particular player, but there have been some players over the years that I've loved as coverage guys and, and, you know, the coaches are the ones that have to coach these guys, and they're the ones whose necks are on the line on Sunday. So they, they, more, than, more than scouts almost, I feel like coaches are the ones that want to see the toughness in DBs and just finding the willingness. They might not be big and strong, but at least come up and cut and try to get a guy on the ground. Um, you have to see that at minimum.
0: Yeah, to me, I just look at it and think it's it's maybe more important now than it's ever been. Just because of all the quick game, the perimeter game that we've seen uh, from the college game, from Saturday's kind of seep into Sunday football with you got bubble screens, you got fly sweeps. It just seems like those guys, they're going to get found. If you can't tackle and you're playing the corner position, whether you're inside or outside, eventually the ball is going to find you and you're going to get yourself in some trouble.
1: Yeah, especially the nickel spot. That's a really good point, DJ. The nickel spot, we always felt like if you had a guy in there that was, that was on the softer side, they're going to check Ron and find that guy um, and run at him. So yeah, that's, that's absolutely the case.
0: Well, dude, I can't thank you enough for your time, man. That's awesome stuff. Uh, I really appreciate you, bud. Buck, the thing that jumped out to me about that conversation is just knowing what you want, you know, some Position coaches and some organizations are going to favor different attributes more so than others. And to me, you got to know what you're shopping for. And he he had a great example there in Seattle. And you'd watch those big, tall, long corners. You'd be a little bit stiff, didn't worry about it. They could play in that defense.
6: No, because they could maul people on the perimeter. And I I think that was the thing that Seattle really – Uh, did very, very well. They knew exactly what they wanted on the perimeter. They were okay with the warts and the issue that showed up in some of those players because the rewards were the ability to be able to snuff out bigger receivers, being able to match up and lock it down and really make tight window throws kind of the norm when you face that defense. And he is right, though. When you have bigger corners, you have to deal with, um, have a plan for dealing with the shifty guys. And that's why somewhere when you're building your room, you may have a place for a smaller, quicker DB that could play for them. A guy like a Walter Thurman and Deshaun Cia and some of those other guys that have been able to play.
0: Uh, which brings us to our next part of the episode here where we have to come up with a prototype. If we're uh, entering this upcoming season here that is upon us and trying to find a prototype with everything we've learned today, who is...
6: You know, it, it, this is a tough one for me, but I'm going to go I know in a different go. style. I'm going to go with Marcus Peters. And the reason I'm going oh, with Marcus okay. Peters I did not see as that my coming. prototype is because Marcus Peters. I never Peters know what
0: you're going to do, man. I think I know, I know you, but I don't. who know. are you? You never know.
6: Who you are you? Know. I like turnovers. I, I like turnovers. Okay. So with Marcus Peters, the reason why Marcus Peters to me is the prototype is because he's long, he's ranging. And when he was in college, look, he could go up and he could press. But what he's become as a pro, he's become a guy that is a terrific route Reader. Like, people will say that he's a gambler, but I believe he is a calculated risk taker. And I think those risks turn into big rewards for the defense. So, yes, he may give up a play, but he is going to make more plays than he ever gives up. And those plays are going to lead to points because they're takeaways. I thought I knew you, man. What I you thought I I we were
0: going to say Jalen Ramsey. Ah. Uh, you've That's always loved you've been a Jalen Ramsey guy him. from the jump I love him I you love remember him. by the way when he was coming out and some folks were saying he wasn't going to be able to oh, play corner remember I that
6: I, I do remember I remember those conversations yeah. on Twitter I remember some big people big people at other networks saying that oh raise, your, ra- gonna... ra-
0: raise your hand if you doubted Jalen Ramsey What well, is that <laughs> Buck me, me, me and you don't have our hands up in the air they're in our lap right now uh, and he's been No, nah,
6: look. I mean look Jalen Ramsey is certainly a prototype Jalen Ramsey is a prototype in terms of world class athlete high IQ very competitive can come up play nose to nose and do all the things that you want to see from a press corner. We don't see him play off as much, but he's certainly capable of doing it. And the feistiness
0: that's it you want.
6: I think, from a prototypical standpoint, though, like are you are you are you comfortable that your coach is going to be able to handle that kind of strong personality? I got a strong in strong coach,
0: I got a strong coach. But can I give you a bonus name? Because I would say yeah. Jalen Ramsey. yes yeah. it you got tall, me. long, athletic, can do everything. Uh, Denzel Ward, with the way the game's played yeah. right now going forward, I know he's not the biggest guy in the world. But give me you talk about competitiveness and ball skills—the two things I harped on at the beginning. Check, check. Um, and as somebody who might not be the biggest guy, he can play big.
6: He uh, can play big. He's so shown I'm that he can play big. And the other thing is, I know people take him to task a little bit because he got dinged up a little bit coming up trying to tackle, or whatever. But to me, he is a willing tackler. More than and willing, and yeah. That was the biggest issue. Hey, would he come up? Will he come over and strike people when he has an opportunity on the perimeter? Well, he's been able to do that. And then you get the ball skills, the athleticism, uh, the ability to really blanket elite receivers. Denzel Ward is fascinating. I think the funny thing is those three ga- guys that we named. Totally different. Completely different <laughs> styles. And so beauty is really in the eye of the beholder. You have to match up your prototypical corner with the scheme that you want to play in your, for your organization.
0: No doubt. Wow, oh, this has been a fun episode, man. Learning a lot about the cornerback position. It's been a fun series, and this is going to wrap up the series. Again, if you're just checking this episode out and you want more, we've got more. We've got the quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight end, offensive line, edge rushers. Uh, those are all out there. Those episodes, NFL.com slash MTS prototype, and the folks can uh, get the entire series, book. It's it's really been a lot of fun, in it. and selfishly, I feel like we've been saying this consistently, selfishly, as much as I hope that the people like it, it was kind of for us just to continue to learn and grow.
6: Yeah, to continue to learn and grow. I mean, talk about notebooks being full, all kinds of notes, but really the conversations lead you to think about positions in a different way, how you value certain traits. Uh, This has been a fascinating series. I'm just really glad that the responses that we've been able to receive on Twitter about people have received it really, really well and how people in the business have talked about it, how it's even helped them hone their eye when it comes to looking at certain things.
0: No doubt. And uh, if you haven't already, do us a favor, subscribe to the Move the Sticks podcast. We're going to have a bunch of great content like this coming your way. Uh, We are excited about the plans we have for the fall. And as we go through this NFL season and march towards the 2020 NFL draft, we've got you covered right here on Move the Sticks. All right, Buck. Buck. That's going to do it for us. Anything else you want to
6: add before we get out of here? No, it's been a fantastic series. I hope everyone goes back and checks all of our uh, prototypes in the series.
0: Well, there you go. Well, thank you guys for listening to Move the Sticks, presented by New Era.
5: Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to NFL.com slash podcasts.
1: perfect home sweet home
0: hey guys back at the playground again
4: huh yep you know what this playground could use a wine country heck yeah and some waves so we could go surfing oh (laughs) (laughs)
3: Ah, love that a redwood forest would be cool i'm in
5: Ah, ski slopes
3: let's do it um can a girl go shopping wait